0: Welcome to episode 17 of the Brown and Black Podcast. My name is Jack Rico.
1: And I'm Mike Sargent.
0: And every week we take a look at race and pop culture through a brown and black lens. On this episode, we're taking a look at the recent growing number of black executives at Hollywood and TV studios and how that will transform and shape the programming we see in 2021. But the question is, Mike: will Latin ex-executives be left behind? Several years ago, there was a sort of outcry throughout Hollywood and the public at large, and they, there was this hashtag Oscar So White campaign that it started. And Variety called me and asked me to create my opinion. They wanted me to write an op-ed on, on what I thought the status of, of the state of the business was as the first you know, African-American to produce a major animated movie. And so I titled the article... I prefer a seat in the boardroom than in the Dolby theater any day of the week mm-hmm. so that's that's our approach. We wanted to you know we think the power comes from the green lighting and the decision making and financing and so we wanted to to start out that way and so as as brown and black people, we want to do more projects that are just that are successful so then we can make those level decisions
1: and that's what we're trying to do we're trying just to break that stigma because if you're brown or black, you do these type of movies, you know, movies, same with it is the same thing with music, right? So we have a background in music. You know, Marvin was the head of A&R for Epic, but he's very pop and rock, but he would have never had a job had there not been a black division, but he has sensibilities in other music, but they don't listen. They're like, what do you know about white culture, you know, or white music? It's not based on race or color. It's just taste, right? So that's why we did the War with Grandpa the way that we did it because we just don't want to be pigeonholed. What you just heard was Marvin Pert, and he and his wife, Rosa Morris Pert, are the producers on a new film called The War with Grandpa. Now, The War with Grandpa is a film that stars Robert De Niro, Christopher Walken, Uma Thurman, and you might notice no black or Latino names. Yet, they were the power behind getting this film made. They're the ones who optioned the property. They're the ones who raised the $40 million to make it. That film comes out this Friday, and that is not necessarily... I think a film that we are the target audience for. But this is a film that could potentially have commercial success and put them in a position where they could tell a different kind of story. I want to know from you, Jack Rico, Do you think this versus the idea of them rebooting previously a white property and putting an all-Black or an all Latino or an all-Asian cast in a story that's already been told, what's the line there? Do you think it's a better thing to have us behind the scenes making white films or to have white films turned into Black or brown films?
0: Oh, man, that's such a great question because it it really... You got to look back to childhood, to your childhood and the and the way you saw movies. Like back when I was a kid, I, I never saw movies through a racial lens. When I saw Superman, I mean, I still to this day still love Christopher Reeve. He can't be any more white, but I love him. I love that man. I mean, he's Superman to me and will always be. If you change them to, let's say, just any actor who's black or Latino playing him, I'm not exactly sure I would love it. I know that it's a strong symbolism of our view of ourselves. But in a and in an ideal world, Mike, whites, blacks, Latinos, Asians, Indians, and any other culture or race or ethnicity should be included in movies, period. And sometimes white people will fall in love with Chadwick Boseman and playing Black Panther. Should they see Black Panther themselves and go, well, you know, I'd love to see, you know, Wakanda with a white guy. You know, at some point you're going to like what's on screen. And if it, if you like the idea and you like the action, you like the writing, you like the performances and you like the story, some stories are better told with a particular ethnicity. Some aren't. And I think. Absolutely. and, And that to me would be the ideal situation. So it really depends on the story you're telling how you're telling it. For example, I've been thinking about what Marvin Pert said that he would prefer a seat in the C-suite as opposed to a movie theater. And that was really well said. That's what we all want. But why do we want it so bad? It's just because we've grown up with too many white movies telling us that only white people are the people, are the stories that we should be listening to, watching, uh, and absorbing, and living through their white lens. And enough is enough. You've had... I don't know how many hundred, uh, hundred years to tell that story. It's time for us now to tell our stories
1: from our perspective. And that's what this whole podcast is about. Uh- Absolutely. You know, as a matter of fact, I'm glad you said what you said because I, I do think it depends. I think there are so many times where it didn't work. Like I love the original Wild Wild West. I grew up watching that, and I love the idea behind the Wild Wild West. And he was, you know, sort of a James Bond in the Wild West. I hated the Will Smith movie, mm, not specifically because it was Will go. Smith. I don't buy that in this racist Western culture that he was able to go undercover and do all these kind of things that he did. It just didn't make sense. I also don't think James Bond needs to be black. I would rather see a new hero who is not James Bond be black. Mm. I think there's only reason to turn something black or Latino is if you're taking a story. Now, Father of the Bride might be a good example. I'd love to hear your opinion. But if you take a story that You can maybe show the universality of it, or maybe in the case of one day at a time, I think they attempt to change the issues as opposed to just recasting it. They bring in the issues that affect the culture that's being represented. Now, So I think that the
0: the point then is, Mike, building off of what you're saying is, who will make sure that that is enforced? And that is essentially the topic of our episode today about Black executives recently. A growing number of them have been hired by major studios. Here, let me just kind of mention a couple of one. In the media overall, Bon Appetit fired their white editor-in-chief to hire Don Davis. Alana Mayo is now the president of Orion Pictures. Juania Lucas is the president and CEO of Hallmark Channel, which is the white supremacist channel, man. I mean, they are as white as they come in terms of channels.
1: (laughs) Uh, The white supremacist. I don't think they they market themselves as the white supremacist channel. In
0: this new era, there's no other way of looking at it, but it's just like too white. It needs to blackify and Latinx itself a, a little bit more. And so hopefully she'll do something with it. Yukonwa Ojo as the Chief Marketing Officer at Prime Video Amazon Studios. Simon Oliver is the new Editor-in-Chief at Refinery29. Teresa Helmer is now a Programming Executive as Disney Channel. Simran Sethi, an Indian-American woman, is the Executive VP of Development and Content Strategy at Disney. Raymond Leon Roker, Global Amazon Music Editorial. And we can go on and on and on of all these hires. And so the question is, Mike, is this tokenism Were they hired to shut all us brown and black people up that have been raising up a rant and wouldn't shut up about it and kept on canceling white executives out of the C-suite so they can put in black people. But then here's the dirty little secret. A year later, we're all going to fire them and rehire our white selves again. Is that what's going to happen or are these people actually really there because companies have noticed that maybe white stories exclusively have run their gamut and it's time now to do a 50-50, 50% white stories and 50% diverse stories. I'm down with that, but, but will it happen?
1: The answer is slightly complicated. I think it's a combination. 10, 20 years ago and more, I think that's exactly what happened in the 90s, when all of a sudden black films were making money. Everybody had a black development deal going on. Mm -hmm. Harry Belafonte had a deal at New Line, but nothing was ever produced. So I tend to believe, I think, that Hollywood follows the money like any business and Netflix has shown them there's a lot of underserved markets out there and they will watch these films. They will watch these TV shows. They will watch programming that the other networks would not create, that the other studios would not make. So I do think Netflix has definitely change the game and show that there's gold in them thar hills but at the same time i think there's a lot of thinking like the wells fargo ceo who says oh there's a limited pool of black talent and those type of you know well black films don't travel well latinos don't like to see themselves on screen (laughs) you know those those self-perpetuating myths that they tell themselves all come down to what I have a particular phrase that I've heard used, I think, to hold back brown and black people and women for years. And here's the phrase. Well, it's always been this way. And there's a variation on that. It's always been this way. So that's an excuse not to change. The only reason we're changing, the only reason I think change is happening is because of social media. Because social media has forced a level of accountability that is unprecedented. And the other
0: dimension to, the, to, to hiring uh, black executives to diversify programming is this, is you're going to encounter the current white executives in their current positions. They're like, okay, how long am I going to last now? Because don't you think that's a real anxiety that they're going through right now? That there's this quote-unquote reverse racism that they're shouting out of the top of their lungs, yet they don't
1: understand what the phrasing really means? uh, Listen, that is the fear. That has always been the fear. That is how uh, the political campaigns have been built on this fear. What is it they shout? Okay, I didn't understand it. But when they were shouting, Jews will not replace us. I think that that strikes to the core of the fear of those in power. Those in power, whether they're benefiting from that power or not, or, or see that they're benefiting, they know it exists and they do not want it to change.
0: Right. And Why? what and what you could start seeing now, and I'm sure you, you we're already seeing it. But with with just exceptions, right? It's that white executives all of a sudden become black. They're like, hey, I love black people. What, what are you talking You know, we already got a slate of three black movies that are coming out. And uh, we got three TV shows that are black and Latino. And uh, we're doing a Crazy Rich Asians uh, sequel. And we're doing a spinoff on TV as well. So there's no need for you guys to fire me because I'm on board. If well, a white executive uh, <laughs> is. <laughs>
1: I, I love that impression there, Jack. Was that? Uh, <laughs> I don't know why that why that's my white voice, but <laughs> uh, well, yeah. that's sorry to bother you. Voice, yes. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, that's right. It's everybody's white voice. Um, exactly. But but Mike, it is true. There are white people that are totally down with black and Latinos, and they get them. And they're not, so, they're not white supremacists, is what I'm trying to say. And they are open-minded. They've traveled the world. They've been educated. They understand the plight. They understand that we
1: need to be more diversified. Should they be fired, Mike? Well, you know, here's the thing. Should they be fired? I think even saying it and putting it in that way is, is the concern. You know, is there room is is the question? Is there room for both? Is there room? Will they make room for us? Will you know if people have to get fired? That that's really going to be a bad way to go. People have to get fired now. Is there any solution? I mean, well, if that's what's only- been
0: happening, Mike. White people have been getting fired to re- to be replaced with black or Latino.
1: Fired or let go.
0: Come on you know it's really (laughs) fired it's like
1: last minute you're gone and so now we gotta find someone else here's the other part of that problem and i'll build on what you're saying okay the white people who are down michael rapaport is gonna weigh in on the state of hip-hop culture is he the guy i mean he loves hip-hop he made a documentary not the guy but then what about eminem okay but he positioned himself as the guy
0: but that's the problem. He's positioning himself as opposed to the people positioning him. Look, the reason Eminem works is because the black population said he should be our leader at the moment. Because the dude, it's all about the skill. We don't care about the skin color. We care about the skill.
1: I don't know if they said our leader. But
0: well, okay, said, okay. We'll, I, we'll listen I, to his music. All right, all right, all right. So, <laughs> but I think that they, they, they recognize the skill that even their best rappers right. you know probably couldn't even approach that they said okay this guy raps this white kid raps better than most black people and the question is John Leguizamo said this dozens of times within our interview he said executives you need, we need we need latin executives and we need you know with 50% of the population of Los Angeles Hollywood and less than 3% of the, the faces in front of the camera, less than 2% of the crew behind the camera and less than 1% of the, the stories. That's cultural apartheid. And this is what I'm talking about. We're all saying it. Should it be a white executive CEO and then everybody below him, Hispanic or black, when we know that the buck stops with that white executive and what happens? One day he wakes up on the white side of the bed <laughs> <laughs>
1: And he goes, today I'm feeling a little bit more white about our programming. That's a very good point. The power structure is white. The money at the end of the day is white. Even though Marvin Pert and his wife raised $40 million to make that film, you know, they had a lot of white investors. So they had to have a lot of people who believed they could do it, who believed in them.
0: But who believed in them? White people. I mean, you heard John Leguizamo talk about David Ayers. He says, as long as he is putting us to work, I don't mind a white executive or a white director directing Latino films, which I think is wrong. Same thing with John Chu, an Asian American who's directing a Latino film. I'm sorry. I can't get over that. You could have given that position to a Latin X and, and then build a team around him. So he gets it right, but give him that
1: shot. Well, there it is coming back to the Charles Scharf the CEO of Wells Fargo. Oh, um, there's a limited pool of talent, You know, there were no uh, Latino directors. Come on. Are you serious? Now, Jack, you said something to me the other day that it stood out in my mind how you were getting all these emails now about all these different this project, that project. You know, it's Latin. History Month. So all of a sudden, it's in the best interest of all these entertainment companies to put out whatever Latin projects that they can put out there. But there are uh, only a handful. And LinkedIn, for the last five months, I've seen nothing but black hires. Right, But it's been very rare that I see a Latino hire and very rare that I see any real Latino or a Latino influence or Latino inspired films coming out.
0: Yeah, I think there's a bit of envy. Look, you can be envious and happy for someone at the same exact time. Okay? Like, you can love in many ways at the same time, too. We can multitask with these emotions that we have. It's 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 part of the beauty of, of, of being a human. We're not limited to one specific emotion for one specific circumstance. So, yes, I think that the Latino community sees the positive hiring of Black executives But at some point, they're going, should we just be an audience for them? Can't we just be right in the passenger seat with you? Why don't we be co-executives? Why don't we build the world together? And I think that that's the beautiful thing because listen, man, at the end of the day, we live in America. In America, everybody wants a piece of the pie. We're bitching about how white people are only telling their stories. We also don't want one community to tell the stories exclusively for the rest of eternity either. Like we don't want to have just a black world that just does everything black. And now us Latinos are looking, yeah, it was a great black movie. Where are we? The idea and why we support the black experience of the black community so much is because so many commonalities that we have with them. We grow up with the black community. We have friends who are black, we watch black things, we listen to black music, we love our black politicians like Barack Obama. Black is who we are deep down inside in our DNA as well. We recognize it, right? Well, at least most Latinos recognize it. A lot of them are like, oh. But the idea is to do this together. And in that part, we can envy you, but love you all at the same time and hope that there is an open-mindedness That you hire us, and then we can work together with you to create a beautiful brown and black shade of programming, of content, of a world that looks brown and black and white. Why not? Right? So that is the idea. And I think that even though we don't see ourselves right now, we are knocking on the door. We are saying, Hey, I'm raising my hand. I want to participate. I want to contribute. And look what's happening slowly, Mike. Emilio Garcia Ruiz is now the editor-in-chief of the San Francisco Chronicle. That's a great start. Matt Lopez, you just talked about this a little while ago. Warner Brothers is doing a remake of The Father of the Bride. Matt Lopez is writing it. It's going to be a X version of that. Some white people are like, what are you doing? That's our show. You can't touch our story because guess how we feel. Then you got Robert Aguirre-Sacasa, who's rebooting Pretty Little Liars, another mainstream classic show amongst teens. Eva Longoria is directing and co-starring at a Universal Pictures movie. Amazon Studios struck an overall TV deal with playwright Matthew Lopez. It's another Matt Lopez. And just heard that might be going to Broadway, still to be confirmed, like Water for Chocolate, a classic Spanish-language film is being developed into a musical with Grammy-winning La Santa Cecilia over the Viva Broadway event that just happened a little while ago that I had created and that they had taken away from me, But now it's living far beyond me. So yes, we're now starting to see sparks. And if we can reach the pinnacle of where the Black community is at at the moment, at the current state, and we can be on par with them, man... It's going to be an exciting decade of programming and content of just culture, Mike, from now to 2030.
1: I obviously agree with you. And what's exciting to me, and we're going to talk about a couple movies that are that are coming out this week in particular. But when we spoke to Calixto Chinchilla, he mentioned this film, Charm City Kings, where the director is Angel Manuel Soto. But the cast is all black and there is a relation there. We can, like you said, we did grow up on on the same block. We did listen to the same music. We did get harassed by the cops the same way. You know, we have a lot of things in common, and so we understand each other, I think, or should better, and if we don't, we should have a desire to understand and support each other more than any other group. Go to the movies with Jack and Mike. Go.
0: Middle class people think working class people are salt of the earth.
1: You've known those girls since they were little kids. Sorry to say.
0: I'm not neurotic per se. I'd say that you're
1: more neurotic.
0: So do you wanna to come to the playhouse
1: or not? Say something hilarious. What But
0: how long you lived here? About a month. Work for the Mexicans, right?
1: Everyone, the well's at
0: 30%. We just want to know if anyone has seen anything.
1: What's the deal with the water? They sell it. It has a flavor too. Unusual. People in town are freaks about it. You guys
0: partying tonight? Party, two, three, four. go, 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 go.
1: It's evidently it needs to be done.
0: is turning inwards and devouring itself. We need fresh blood.
1: You work in Mexico? At least you drink the water?
0: Man, is that some sort of like, local racist joke? People feel that like this wall is anti-progressive and presents a message of superiority and lack of common decency.
1: American dream. The myth of paradise on the other side. This job sucks. You asked for it.
0: The Wall of Mexico is a comedy drama directed by Zachary Kotler and Magdalena Zizak. It stars Isai Morales, Jackson Rathbone, Marisol Sacramento, and Carmela Zumbado. It revolves around a wealthy Mexican family who builds a wall around their water supply in an attempt to prevent theft of their water by the local townspeople. Now, this water might have some mystical powers, but that's really for you to figure out by the end of the film. Mike, you and I had a chance to watch it. Did you like it? Did you hate it?
1: Well, he, let me preface this to say that I like the premise. And I like what he was trying to do. I think he was partially successful. I think that what this director, Zachary Kotler, and, and his co-writer, Magdalena Zizak, were, were doing is create an allegory. You know, you've got a rich Mexican family who looks down their nose on their white help. Now, that is, you know, we spoke about Harry Belafonte before. I don't know if you remember, there was a movie in the 90s uh, that was a science fiction where they turned everything around, where white people were poor and black people were rich. It had Harry Belafonte and John Travolta, where I think it was called White Man's Burden.
0: No, I never saw this movie.
1: From the producers of Pulp Fiction comes one of the most powerful films of the year. Louis Pinnock is a hardworking man struggling to provide for his family. That's my baby girl. But the cards are stacked against him. I promise you, honey, it's going to be better. Barriers still exist. The next time you have something delivered here in the house, could you send someone other than the fellow you sent by today? But in this world, the roles are reversed. White people are genetically inferior. I can't keep you on anymore. You me? So when Lewis is unfairly fired from his job...
0: Well, tell him that I, I just lost my job at the factory and I need to I need to talk to him. It's important.
1: I don't get involved in these matters. He decides to get even the only way he knows how. Similar concept. This is much lighter. I wish they had strengthened the concept of. In this film, there are two Mexico's. There's Mexico where the Mexico we know, and then there's Mexico, which is this sort of not gated, but it's a community within the United States where I guess wealthy Mexicans live. But it was vague. Mm-hmm. and I, and I and I wanted it to be stronger I like the cast it, with the exception of the lead uh, he, Jackson Rathbone know, just, Jackson Rathbone just didn't do it for me. I, I I understood his character is an idiot, but I have an issue when 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 a main character just does stupid things. It's uh, I, I don't like it in horror movies. I just don't like it in movies either. But I understood why they wanted this character to do what he did. I I like what it was trying to do in terms of how it's portraying the rich, how it's portraying the working class and the issues that can arise and the 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 myths that they have about each other and that we have about ourselves. There's a nice moment where uh, the older white worker for the rich Mexicans says to the younger white worker who's working for the Mexicans, where are you from? Because he's wearing a cowboy hat and a cowboy belt. And he's like, oh, I'm from, you know, some place or the other that has nothing to do with the Wild West. He's like, well, then why do you dress like that? <laughs> and... It's a very subtle dig, but it's also says a lot about the loss of identity. Like, who are you? Who are you trying to be? Who, what are you trying to assert when you do this? What are you even embracing when you hold on to things that really have no relation to you?
0: So I think so, that's where you and I connect. We we connect on that level that this movie provides great social commentary. And that's where the richness and the texture of this film is. It's what you take out of it. It's what you can extract to be able to think, to expand your mind on an intellect level. Uh, it's the social commentary. And I thought that they did a good job of sort of putting that together. It's about class. It's about cultural criticism. Um, and And they do that well. The problem is... Is that the production of the movie isn't that great? The performances are mixed. I thought there were some good performances, nothing great, but there were some bad performances there as well. And it's a because of it's an allegory. It's all there's also some abstract moments that uh, I think I think fails the movie in particular. Now, what I do like in particular is that the Mexicans, like you said a little while ago with Harry Belafonte, they play the rich. Wealthy family. It's not the other way around. It's not the, the traditional movie uh, where you saw white folks being the rich and Mexicans being the help. Now it's the Mexican wealthy family and the help, the white service. So there were there were those moments that I, that I thought that that they did well, but overall, I think this movie I I, I would I I wouldn't be able to recommend it unless you're looking for that. Particular type of genre of movie to challenge you, to make you see that immigrant movies are evolving more of a deep psychological, social commentary way. And I think if you're looking for something like that, um, then this might be a movie for you, but I think that there's better movies out there that get the point a little bit more solid. Oh my-
1: A new section that we're going to have here on the show is looking ahead, looking ahead at not only what we're going to be doing on the show, but movies and potentially different things that are going to be happening that we definitely are going to be talking about here on Brown and Black. In this section in particular, we will bring you information about upcoming events all across the spectrum of popular culture that are of specific interest for those who are Brown and Black. Our goal will be to keep you abreast of everything that's happening and everything you should know that is coming up and offer you a perspective that is uniquely and essentially brown and black. You don't know nothing, do you? Ride. Every Sunday in the yeah. summer, everybody with a bike show out. There's a bike as far as you can see. Mm-hmm. Pull the bike back, a wheel, Stay straight up. So we'll look like the hands of a clock when it hit midnight.
0: Charm City Kings, directed by Angel Manuel Soto. Story by Barry Jenkins. Starring Jaheed Winston, Tiana Paris, and Meek Mill.
1: People like us don't get no second chances, Mouse. Think about me doing hip-hop. Doing what to it? I want to make a mixtape about the 40-year-old woman's point of view.
0: The 40-year-old version, directed by Rada Blank, produced by Lena Waithe, starring Rada Blank, Welker White, and Jacob Ming Trent. White man with a black woman's
1: butt. How you carry all that back there? What the fuck? This can't keep happening. You're not putting me in a
0: home. What if it were our home? The War with Grandpa. Produced by Marvin Pertz, Rosa Morris Pertz, and Trey Pertz. Starring Robert De Niro, Uma Thurman, Cheech Marine, and Christopher Walken. I want to put up with this, Pete. I demand my room back, or else it's war.
1: Declaration of War. Give me back what is mine or face the consequences.
0: That's it for the 17th episode of Brown and Black. Thank you for listening to our show. And if you like to support this podcast... Please subscribe on any podcast platform and leave a review. Your help allows us to be heard by many more people. You can reach us on Twitter at brownblackpod, on Instagram at brownblackpodcast, and on our new YouTube channel at brownblackpodcast. See you next week for another episode of Brown and Black.